Howdy folks, welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Mills and the Fourth. On today's episode, we have wrestler Barrington Hughes. We're talking about punk rock, pro wrestling, call it a races, and other topics on a quite eye-open episode. Um, we take a straight level again on this episode, so if you're offended by language, okay, enjoy. So who do you train with? I originally trained with Rusty Brooks and Flex Magnum. Then I furthered my studies uh, a few years ago with Gangrel when he opened the school down here in South Florida. Oh, cool. Was well, like, hmm, I didn't realize Gangrel was from Florida. Mm-hmm. Certified Florida boy. What's he like? Very down to earth, very chill. Um, he has expectations of you when you step into the school, be ready to work. As long as you're putting in the work, you will, you know, you'll have your back. You know James Mitchell? Yes. What's he like? What you see on TV is what you get with him. Very nice guy, but it's really, really over the top. I still keep on thinking of this time when it was blew his hand off. Mm-hmm. He keeps that same energy 24-7. So that's just him. That's not really a persona. That's just really him. Exactly. Sweet. What was your tenure MLW like? Um, it started off great. You know, there was a lot of feedback, a lot of communication, a lot of support. Um, I would say it started to taper off after, I want to say, the beginning of 2019, going into my second year of my contract. Um, they just felt like they wanted to go in a different direction. And it didn't, I should have spoken up more to be, to request more chances, but this is always hindsight speaking. Oh, yeah. um, and they ultimately went in a different direction. I saw the direction they were going in, and that so their plans did not include me in a positive light. Hmm. So I simply asked for my release. That's fair. You think the end of territory system helped or hindered wrestling as a whole? A little bit of both. Um, it kind of created a, a funnel. But now with other companies coming around and presenting new opportunities for, you know, talent to, to really shine, I think it's going in a reverse direction. And you're not necessarily seeing a territory system, per se, but you're, you are seeing a system of independent, of minor league independence, major league independence. And then you get to your TV uh, promotions, your Ring of Honors, your AEWs, your WWEs, your MLWs, what have you. Um, so it, it, it's presenting more opportunities and, and giving young talent more of a reason to work hard. That's a good point too, because I keep on think I keep on hearing there's losing the territory system. But wait, there these indies popping up and everything, and these are guys coming through. They're still learning their craft and everything. You know, everybody that complains about the territory not territories not being around are either one too old to do anything about it now, or two just. Carnival barking, whatever they hear from Cornet. So, true. Oh, yeah. Good point. Oh, yeah. So, what are your thoughts on like outsiders such as guys like Superhuman and Robert Frank getting involved in wrestling? Um, I have nothing personal against Robert Frank. He can do what he does. You know, uh, he has a great physique. He has a great look. Um. And he can talk, so he can definitely be an asset um, to companies if used properly, and he stays within the confines of what they require. Superhuman can take a long walk off a short bridge, quite frankly. <laughs> um, 
for lack of a better term, he is a bigoted, racist sack of garbage. And I don't like him, and he's a punk, because the moment I met him, he shriveled up like a piece of garbage, and I would throw him away at the first opportunity I get. I just so completely don't blame him, because, you know, I could have seen those videos, and I was like, okay, I guess these people never seen a jackass before. And I didn't see a big deal about it, and then all the other shit came out, so I was like, you know, I didn't miss anything. You know? Nope. Passed on just that quickly. So, yeah. moving on. Alright, so, you know, that being said, is there a way <laughs> for, like, celebrities and personalities to be involved in storylines or appearances and be respectful to the business? Um, number one, respect the business. Don't just think it's just, oh, anybody can do it, because not anybody can do it. Because many, I've seen guys come in and out in my, in my tenures that I've been and guys, you know, some have great physiques and some don't have great physiques. Some have the mind for it. Some don't. It just, if you don't have all of those traits that also have the work ethic, it doesn't matter. Um, but for anybody coming out, coming in, don't think it's an easy payday. Don't think that, you know, that it's just whatever. Be respectful. Be respectful of the talent. Be respectful of the crew. And you can really be a benefit. I think the best example, best and worst examples of this um, are David Arquette. You know, with David Arquette with WCW, you know, he was really, to be fair, he was thrown into a really screwed up situation. And he just had to roll with it, you know. Um, when you get to a show and you think you're just promoting the show and all of a sudden you're like, oh, you're winning the world title. What are you supposed to do? But seeing how his recent run went in the opposite direction, he actually trained for it, he prepared for it. Um, from what I know, he was donating all of his payday, payouts to charity. Um, he was also doing the, the documentary at the time. So, you know, he, he really turned it around, man, and, and really showed that he, he had a love and passion for the business. And I think he wiped that stigma of himself off completely. You know, that makes a good point, too, because I was thinking about that, because I felt like, okay, you know, I was coming up and everything, I felt like, okay, David Arquette, you know, because I really had a bit of a disdain for dude, because I didn't really like him as an actor, actually, right? So now you're going to take a piss on something I, I'm passionate about and I love, and you're going to do this. So that's another good question. Like, you know, is there a way to be, is there a way for redemption? Yeah, but you got to put the work in, you know? Got to put the work in above anything else. You know? Hmm. All right, I was thinking about this too. Speaking of put the work in, all right, I was thinking about that one weekend in May, right, when a lot of wrestlers started putting up the Black Lives Matter hashtag. And I was wondering, I saw like a lot of people I didn't expect to see or even had a thought or interest, you know, maybe because I'm, I was too entrenched into the gimmick or persona or whatever, or I just thought they just wouldn't give a shit, you know. But then I started thinking, what if some of these guys are trying to low key, trying to get over with a. With a you know, blooming, blooming black fan base. So I was wondering, do you think some white wrestlers use the Black Lives Matter hashtag to their benefit to get over black fans? Um, I think some did. Um, at one point there were some that um, that were using it and showing support and showing love, and you know, were willing to offer help, which I think was from a genuine place. But then further developments with other social media movements. Uh, kind of negated all of that progress for certain individuals. Oh, yeah. But for the most part, I think it's been for the greater good. 
I can see that. You know, because I was thinking about, like, um, for example, Mass Warner, right? Like, he would, um, he would, like, retweet, like, a lot of resources and everything. And I saw his DMs were open. So, you know, talking about stuff. And he was like, please stay, please stay safe. I want to pray for you. I'm like, okay, so this is not persona. He's, like, a really genuinely good dude. No, he's a genuine dude. Like, from my time that I've interacted with him, he gave off nothing but good vibes. He... He's just really, really his his gimmick is his gimmick, but he is, as a person, one of the nicest, genuine people I've met. No cap. I can tell. I can tell because there's something about him. I was trying to figure it out because I was like, okay, this guy sounds a little bit like me trying to do his impression of Stone Cold Steve Austin, but also looks like the lost member of the Briscoe Brothers. Exactly. And I'm like. Alright, so you kind of get me into the building here, but my favorite one was when, you know, he beat MJF and he's doing a post-interview, and he has great facials, you know, he has a great reaction, mm-hmm. you know, it was a so pure, like, wait, what did she say? I just, right. I just hollered at that, right? And second dude I talked about was Brian Pillman Jr., he was talking about, like, save black lives, and I was like, you know, I was like, he's really about it, though. So we even talked in the DMs and stuff like that. You know, I'm glad that he doesn't hold a grudge because after that one tweet that I made, I'm glad he's a sense of humor, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? He's another one. He's definitely a good guy. And, and all the success he's seen now, I'm very happy for. Oh, um, yeah. he, he put, he's another one that puts in the work. He's not afraid. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm coming in with a name, but I'm going to do what I have to do. To be as good as my father, if not better, oh, yeah. and I can respect that. Oh, totally. Like, all right. Was there? Is it true that you have an amusing story about him? That the first time I tried, like, um, Miami oh, yeah, Coffee. Man. So, so uh, we were doing MLW down here, and he asked me, he's like, "Hey, where can I get some coffee?" So, I direct him to one of our little uh, Cuban coffee shops down here. Now, if for the uninitiated, Cuban coffee is the caffeinated equivalent to rocket fuel like there's probably you probably have to drink like a triple shot of rockstar to match the potency of a three ounce cup of cuban coffee oh lord um, yeah it's serious so he um so he goes he gets it and he's like yeah man i just drank the whole thing i was like what he drank he drank the entire thing not realizing that you're supposed to Share it amongst six. You get these little quarter ounce cups, like three quarter ounce cups, um, where you can share it out with with friends, you know, friends and whoever wants to to use it. So fuck, he's like, yeah, the whole thing. And little did I know, before I know it, I see him back and forth just buzzing by in the line. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing interviews. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, so I see him buzzing back and forth in the locker room, and it's me and Ace and Tommy Dreamer all just looking at his back for them. <laughs> like Brian, you all right? Yeah, I'm okay. I just thought I was all right. Like, oh shit! So safe to say, he discovered uh, Cuban coffee that day, and I don't think he's been the same since. Oh my god! So I take it look like that one segment from The Simpsons, you know, when Apu was on the um was on the was on the CCTV thing. He thought it was a hummingbird. Exactly. Oh my god. How did Call Out a Racist come about? Uh, Call Out a Racist came about 
with all the Black Lives Matter movement uh, going on around the beginning of June, um, late May. So, you know, I've, I've been injured since January. That's no secret. Um, and I was just kind of scrolling through social media, seeing everything going on with George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey. Like, I'm just seeing, like, it, everything was just getting to a boiling point in this country. And then all of a sudden, all, I start seeing promoters and wrestlers and people that I consider a friend start kind of downgrading not only the movement, but black people in general. Like, you do realize I'm black as hell, right? Like, I'm a black kid that grew up in Miami and I'm Jamaican. Like, I, I don't think it gets no blacker than that. So, it, it, you know, it just, I got frustrated and you see over and over and I would just, I would just start sharing it and posting and sharing it and posting. I was like, you know what? I need to be able to collect all of this together. So, knowing how the way social media algorithms work, I kind of created the call out a racist thing, and, and me and Cassidy Keith kind of ran with it. Like, he gave me the idea. We said, you know what? Let's run with it. And we just really started outing people and calling people out. Um, we got a few people outside of the business. They ended up losing their jobs due to the hate speech. Um, we were just really trying to do just positive stuff as much as possible. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool. You know, I'm glad that happened. You know, because it needed to do okay. that. And I'm glad you. Had, I'm glad that you. And well, let me sure get his neighbor. Who was that again? Cassidy Keith. Cassidy Keith had to had the gall to do that. You know, because somebody mm-hmm. has to. You know, because everybody's afraid of losing their spot and everything. It's like, oh, don't rock the boat. You know, I've always admired guys like y'all. You know. Listen, if that's the spot you want, you can have it. I'd rather I'd rather work with somebody that wants to work with me not only as a performer but as a as a human being. There you go. So, but yeah, that's just my two cents on it. Hey, no problem. You know, a lot of people feel like you, but down the goals to do it. You know. Okay, so this is something we've been kind of curious about. Like, they always describe certain wrestlers as an attraction. Or some people as like a major draw, something like that. Or like, they're, oh, they're coming back for one night. Like, what's the difference between like a wrestler and an attraction? Um, a wrestler can can actually fit the mold on any car and any position in the card and do their job well. Um, while an attraction just does a fills one specific role, they do this one thing and that's the one thing they do well, and they get over for it. Um, for years, a lot of my my career. People wanted to put me in the attraction box, and I'm like, no. Just because I'm a big man doesn't mean that I can't work. Hmm. So, you know, I'm really, especially now, I'm really pushing to get out of that attraction box and really be seen as an all-around solid performer in spite of my size. But I'm also taking the H. Romero route where I'm working on losing weight as well so people can see that, hey, I'm actually putting in the effort. I'm actually putting in the work to show you that I can be what you ever need me to be. Mm-hmm. All right. So what are your thoughts on the whole speaking out movement? It needed to happen. It was well overdue. Um, the business was, was, it was time for a purge. It needed to be cleansed. And it needed to be not necessarily purified, but kind of hit the reset button on a lot of shit that was going on. A lot of shit that got swept under the rug. A lot of things that people thought they were going to be able to take to their graves. Not in 2020. Hmm. So, 
it, it was a necessary thing, and I'm glad that it happened, and I support all the legitimate victims. Um, knowing one, Chelsea Durden, who's like, you know, a wrestling niece of mine, a wrestling sister, knowing what she's had to go through, what Ryan Nicole had to go through, um, and not just female victims, male victims, you know, non-binary victims, you know, people that were assaulted by by people they trusted, you know what I mean? Like, stuff like that, you know? So. Who is the biggest surprise on the list you know, people people named. Who's the biggest surprise? Oh man, um, Jack Gallagher was a big surprise. I know, right? That story was a shocker. Yes, and the fact was. that that the WWE did not even hesitate to release him was damning. Yes, that was damning. I was like, wow, okay, so. What's on uh, that? I think Marty Scurll was a little was a little shocking. Yeah, a lot of the British wrestling scene was shocking. They don't wipe the NXT UK for that one. I'm like, well, fuck that shit. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was really shocked. I was like, whoa, what's going on? But yep, uh, what can you do? You know, everything happens for a reason. You know, you have other talented guys. You have like guys like the OJMO. You know, you have a lot of people that can help um, rebuild and make it better than it was before. So, Totally. Like, I'm thinking about, you know, also David Stark, because he was like the quote-unquote woke dude, you know? Mm, yeah, that... But, to be honest, um, John Trotsky, who also known as Angry Wrestling Vet, and runs the Sanctuary in Pennsylvania, warned about David Starr. About his, his how he stole ideas from him, how a lot of things that he was using to get over in wrestling were not his own ideas. They were John's original ideas and they stole them. Oh shit. Yeah, so this came out year I remember this was about maybe three, four years ago. And then when all that came out it was like, whoa. And then now with all of that on top of it, it was just he was right. He was absolutely right, and it sucks. Oh, yeah. You know, it's kind of funny because guys like David Starr, right, they remind me of, like, the woke, conscious, what do you want to call them dudes, right? And mm. they were, like, really popular on Twitter. And I would the, make woke, these... the woke to this. Yeah, exactly, right? And I would make tweets, you know, because you know, I don't even know. It's just me kind of like, excuse me, it is. I would just throw out some stone, so to speak, as a warning, generally speaking. It's like, yo, lady, watch, ladies, watch out for these guys that claim to get to know your mind, but all they have is um, really strong weed and henny. How can you have a clear thought when basically your mind's cloudy? I would say shit like that, right? And then it turns out so many party promoters, 10 years later, they do the apology spiel. You know the one. Oh, yeah, the, the apology world tour. You know. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't. I wasn't in control of my actions, or I should have made better decisions. I've done this, this, and this to rectify the issue. I hope that you find it in your heart to forgive me. Wash, rinse, repeat. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like there were a lot of Joey Ryan's in the party promoter world, and especially like in the music business, a lot of guys like that. You know. Mm-hmm. So, do you think actually in the long run would actually help out the business? Almost like a like a forty day flood. Um, I think it does, and then now, after the flood, now we're getting past the initial waves and the initial 
impact of everything, um, you have places um, that are actually setting up to be safe spaces for, you know, in the industry for victims, for people that need to, to speak up, for uh, people that have questions about certain situations. Uh, I believe they're called the, the Safe Wrestling Collective, if I remember. See, yeah, Safe Wrestling Collective, I believe, is what they're called. Um, they're on Twitter. They're on Facebook. They're really doing a good job with helping to, you know, keep things in line and kind of create a universal code of conduct. Because this whole silent, you know, code, code, you know, quote unquote, quiet code or quote unquote, unspoken word, it's not working. It's clearly not working. No. So mm-hmm. we need to kind of lay down the ground rules and be like. Yes, no, get fucked up. <laughs> True, you know, because I'm hearing stories about back in the day, you had somebody have a receipt for you and everything. Now they're worried about losing bookings because it's like, oh, they're a loose cannon because they attacked me in the ring and they don't say the reason why they did. Every, but see, a lot of situations like that are always case by case. Yeah. From what I've seen, every case like that where somebody has gotten a receipt or somebody is what they quote unquote going off the script. Um, there's always a story behind it, and a lot of times the person on the receiving end is is you know they deserved it, and, and there are cases where they didn't. Yeah, because there's so, like no indie. There's like no such thing as an indie versus court, right? No. Mm. So I can see that, you know. I just had a quick flashback to this one promotion called Chikara, right? And it was more of a, I don't know what the hell to call that. Like, dare I say, it's almost like performance art. Like, it was like a PG version of Hood Slam. You know, mm-hmm. but I was thinking about stuff between stuff like that and also like, you know, deathmatch wrestling when done wrong. Do you think it hurts, like, the image of the business to people that might not be into wrestling or weren't used to it? Do you think it hurts the, the image of wrestling as a whole or what? Um... I think when any type of wrestling is done wrong or in the wrong context, looking at you, Walmart guys, it hurts the sport. It hurts the industry. Yeah, those guys are getting, you know, those individuals are getting attention and clicks and likes, but not the kind of attention I want. You know, they, a lot of people say, you know, any attention, any attention, good attention in the business. And it's like, I don't believe that's true. Mm-hmm. I really don't, because the kind of attention that a lot of these inadequate people are bringing to us makes us look bush league but a lot of us take our time we invest our money we invest our time we invest our sweat equity into our craft to be the best that we can be for people that don't give a fuck to kind of just steamroll over our entire reputation so it gets a lot of it, it gets frustrating a lot of time but you know what can you do yeah, I was wondering about like what are your thoughts on those you know Walmart dudes and everything because somebody sent me clips. I'm like, well, they got the moves down, but I guess you know. What's one of your thoughts on those guys? Get into a school and train properly. Those are my thoughts. That's all I gotta say to them. I'm never, I'm never gonna, I'm, never, I'm not gonna tear down fellow black kings. But if you're gonna do something, baby boys, do it right. Show them you can, you can accomplish at a high level. That's all I gotta say. You've done a death match one time, right? Yes. How'd that, how'd that come about? Um. Oh, good. Sorry. Um. I was on Twitter one day, and Casanova Valentine kind of put out an open challenge. Casanova Valentine is a um, 
deathmatch wrestler out of New York. Um, travels all over the world for deathmatch tournaments, and, and is a solid wrestler as well. Um, so he put out an open challenge, and I responded to it, and he DM'd me. He's like, hey, are you serious? You want to give it a shot? I was like, screw it. Might as well. Why not? I want, that's something I wanted to cross off my bucket list in wrestling. So we set the date, and I went up there, and uh, Soundbar in Orlando, which they're actually having an event next this coming Saturday um, at Soundbar for No Pete's Underground. Um, and we did a no-ring deathmatch. So we had a cart full of weapons, and we told a story with everything that we had. And people, people dug it. I think from that match, people kind of looked at me differently. Because they saw, they knew, oh, oh, yeah, he's just the MLW guy. And then here I come, blood and guts, beating the dog shit out of this man. Whoa. And it was something they never saw out of me before. They didn't have, they were never given the opportunity to see it, to be fair. You know, if you're, all you're given is one thing, one thing, you know, if all you're given is bananas your whole life and then somebody hands you a peach, you're going to fucking love that peach, right? Yeah. Because it's different. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly what it was. They were given bananas for so long, and then they get the peach, and it's like, yo, this is dope. He can, he can, he's all right. And then people really started paying attention to my work in the last year. I wish I would have been, hindsight would have been in better shape or been, and been in better health. Um, so I could have really gave them something to watch because I feel like I got more opportunities more than anything in the past year, and I wasn't in the position to take full advantage. And I, it's all my fault. I take full responsibility. Okay. You only know what you know at the moment, you know. So, oh yeah. So, what's your regiment now? Just working out at home, doing things. Doing still, still on the rehab tip. Still trying to get myself back to where I was before and even better. Okay. Um, working on balance squats. Um, do you know girl push-ups? Because hey, yeah, I'm still rebuilding. I, I'm not the first to admit. Um, I've been to the gym a couple of times, but that was back in. You know, before before lockdown got really serious, um, and now things are slowly reopening. So, but I'm still taking my time before I do all that. But I definitely want to get back into a sense of normalcy when it comes to working out, when it comes to uh, taking care of myself. So, that's basically what I've been doing, and, and just working on my character, working on everything else that is necessary. Hmm. Because remember we were talking about character development. You said that it was Joe Gertner who was really underrated or underappreciated when it came to character development, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I did a start with him, I want to say, 2013. And that's when we kind of built the system of character development. I've never deviated from that since. I've even expanded and grown on it on my own just to kind of make it, make it my own. And I've been able to successfully reinvent myself several times over. Um, I actually tried to do a reinvention while I was with MLW, but the office wasn't trying to see that, so. Understood. I'm kind of surprised by that, too, because of all the people, I never expected Joel Gertner to be that guy because I just think of him as the dude in ECW that was damn near doing, like, these, almost like these, like, New York version of Dolomite kind of rhymes. Yeah, those raunchy limericks. Yes, Um, I never would expect that from him. But when you think about it, think about that for a second. Like, let's even take that and, and encapsulate it. All right. Who else was doing anything like that in the industry? Fuck, you're right. You know, <laughs> it wasn't anybody. Nobody, nobody else was doing it. And the things he started off as a heel manager. He started off as a heel manager. They put him on the and then they put him in the booth. 
And it was gold from there. He spun these limericks, and then when he did his baby face turn, people fucking lost their shit. Yeah. Because he was always known as the raunchy dude, but people were getting behind him because he was clever. He was creative on the mic. And oh, yeah. he believed every fucking thing he said. Whether he legit or not, that's of no consequence because the character and the person are usually not one and the same in, in some cases. But you believed every fucking word he said to the detriment of your own. It was like this son of a bitch. True. And from that, that's the, those are the qualities I want to bring into my character, into what, what I'm doing now. And and he's helped me with that along the way. He's watched promos. He's, he's coached me, you know. Um, I consider him a friend. I consider him a mentor. Same with MVP. Um, that's who's my boy. Me? Oh, my God. I'm so happy for him right now. Like Me too. What? And, and it's funny because we sat down and talked one day. I was like, would you ever go back? And he's like, if the situation was, was ideal, yes. And here we are. Here we are in 2020 talking about MVP as a top star in WWE where he should have been for years. Let me tell you something. MVP, all right, it's kind of crazy how I got to know the guy because, all right, admit it, I was not an MVP fan. I just okay. nothing really, really gra- gathered to me because I'll put it this way: when I was growing up, guys like MVP, you know, before he became MVP, well, before he became Hassan, I'm like those guys gave me hell, right? So I'm like, why well, want to support that? But then those one day he put up a link to a thrash band on MySpace. Just to show us how far back it was. I was like, you like thrash? He's like, oh yeah, I love that. I'm like. So I was like, you know, I thought I was doing it for a friend. Is yeah, I'm like, I like the band too. But also, he started mentioning other bands he liked, and I was like, you like Babberries? And next thing you know, we apparently dig the same kind of, even the same kind of stand-up comics. So I'm like, okay. And even in, even in the ring, I was like, okay, what is this guy trying to do? And then I realized he grew up on Japanese wrestling. So I'm like, oh, now it makes sense now. So I'm like, wow, this guy and I have a lot more in common, you know. <laughs> And that's one thing that we, me and him have shared a love for as well as uh, Pudo um sitting down talking about hates and matches and all right and Kenta Babashi and Jun Akiyama and uh, uh, Russia Kimura, just all those different guys. And we, we would pop each other just talking about stuff like that. Me, him, Loki, uh, Vandal Ortegun, who's a uh, Florida based guy. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, from last I know, he's Florida based. Um, you know, and just we just have a good time, man. So I'm really happy for him. Same here, you know. I'm really proud of him. Like he's still like an older brother to me, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of funny. Like I was thinking of this too, you know, because I remember his run in Japan, you know, and you know what? Low key, he kind of was a part of Black History. Oh yeah. Because think about it, the belt, uh, the Intercontinental Belt in New Japan, right? They made that for him. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't realize that no, that belt was made for him because, yeah, you know, he was that over. He was that over. Shoot, and he would, and he went to Japan and he worked in the dojos. He did everything he was, that was required of him, and it made him a better all-around performer. I think that was the best thing that ever happened to him. And with him getting into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and other oh, combat yeah. sports outside of wrestling, made his game more complete. And that there was a match. That he and Loki had during the early days of the re the rebirth of album. And I wish to God people could have seen it. During the middle of the match. 
MVP grabs a, a kendo stick. The Ronin. He's a samurai. Yeah. Well, Loki is the assassin. What does he grab? He grabs the Screamo sticks. If you're not familiar with the Screamo sticks, they are about 18-inch long bamboo sticks. And they hurt like hell. So they go into this fight sequence. He has a sword. He has the sticks. And they're just going at it for about a good three minutes. And you're just like, this is cinematic. This is amazing. And it was so good. The crowd ate it up. And it was so good. And I wish that people could have seen that match. No, I don't think, I don't even think it made TV. Fuck. But it was so good. Because I think I remember seeing pictures. It might be a Mandela effect thing, but I think I remember seeing pictures of it, though. And I'm like, yo, I'm yeah, phoning these. probably were pictures. I'm like, and that sucks. See, that's my gripe with dark matches. Because here's the thing. Even when I have rehearsal and everything, I still have the I still have the mics and the recorder running because I never know when somebody might say something deep. I might throw in a riff that sounded really cool or somebody mm-hmm. might do something dope. I was like, yo, how did I go again? That's my biggest gripe with kinds of dark matches and stuff like that. Because I felt like, listen, if something, it might be, you never know. It might be something so ordinary, you know, but you never know. It might be planned ordinary, but some dope could happen. So that's my yeah. biggest you know, thing, but no, but you're right though. Like I didn't realize how much of an impact MVP had on like a lot of young black kids that were too young to see the rocks run. That was their guy. Yeah. Him and Jeff like, Hardy, I, which is kind of weird. I didn't appreciate. Yeah. I really didn't appreciate the rocks run until I was older because by the time he popped, it was 98. I was 12. So I didn't really like get it at the time. But MVP, being from Miami, I could relate to him. I was 17, 18, you know, in my formative years, seeing somebody that looks like me from where I'm from, rocking bridge, rocking jewelry, looking like the motherfucking man. I'm like, okay, I can get behind this. You know, throwing up the 305, I was like, okay, okay, I can get behind this. I can rock with this. And just went from there. You're right, you know. Wait, 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 wait. In 1998, you were 12? Mm-hmm. Damn, I guess I'm a couple of years older than you. Just realize that right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just... yeah I'm, only 34. I'm only 34. Huh. I'm going to be 36 a couple of weeks from now. There you go. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thanks. No problem. But, yeah, it's like one match I've always wanted to see between the two was The Rock versus MVP, you know? Yeah. That would have been dope yeah. as oh. shit. And, and who knows? It, 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 stranger things have happened. I just want to see the promos between them, honestly. Oh, fuck yeah. I didn't know MVP could talk like that. I had no idea until he got well, outside of... Wrestling. I outside, had... of, outside of WWE. And when you really saw what he could do on the mic and see how how incredible he was as a talker, was to beat that client. His whole TNA run. Yeah, his entire TNA run, and I went back and watched. There's a playlist on YouTube. I don't know if it's still there, but there's a playlist of all of the promos that told the story of Beatdown Clan, pre-match, post-match, things like that. And it was so. I was like, "How did everybody shit on this? They didn't realize what they had." No, this was good. And remember, this was the time where everybody wanted TNA to disappear. 
They yeah. wanted it to be canceled. It's like they, they've outlasted cockroaches, bro. Let them be. <laughs> Let them be. They've been around longer than WCW, and everybody's still pining for them. No, they... Fuck that. They're gone. Right. WCW, at their peak, was around for 11... I want to say 11, maybe 12 years. Impact's going on 18. You know, that's it's a good still question. going strong. That's a good question. What is it with fanboys and their obsession and they want certain companies to go out of business? Why? They don't like change. They don't like competition. They don't... And a, and a lot of the newer fans didn't grow up in the era of the Monday Night Wars where you had the TV channel all oh, hey, what's going on here? What's going on there? And it felt, oh, it was exciting. Everything was new and fresh. Everything now has been done, pretty much done to death. Yeah. And because you've had the WWE that's recycled stories so many times over, they're just so used to the regurgitation and the cycle of the same things going on, like the tag teams. You get a tag team, they get a couple of title runs, they get you know, they get a little bit of push and then you split them and then one ends up released three weeks later and the other one really gets released next year. Yeah. You know, and it's rinse same thing, wash rinse repeat. There and it's go. like you know, but they don't a lot of a lot of people just like with, you know, the state of affairs in this country, people don't like to be challenged. Damn. And that's all I'm going to say about that. That's fair. Because I remember people trying to hype up the Wednesday Night Wars. I'm like, why? A lot of us have DVRs now. We can check out a clip mm-hmm. later on on YouTube. Yeah. You know, in fact, you've been told us even ratings now. They're going to like the highlights, so what does it matter? Thank you. Because a lot of the stuff. All right, there's something that Stephanie McMahon said. I'm paraphrasing here. She said, we don't like to create matches, we create moments. And that's a good and bad thing. But what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. You can create moments all you want. That's cool, you know, because they're an entertainment company that makes sense for them. It just happened to be a part of the wrestling industry, where you have AEW that lets you know we are a wrestling company. We're going to create great matches and great stories. So they're in two different markets. Number one, but the fact that you know. The top guys didn't feel comfortable with just letting them be on TV alone, unopposed. Said a lot. Oh yeah, because they didn't have to. They did not have to do that, but they elected to. Oh yeah, they were intimidated, or they're still intimidated because AEW is killing them in the ratings. They are. I mean, they are. You know, the fans that they, that they targeted and coveted so much are not watching them. Yeah. You're still getting the kids and stuff, and that's cool. But you and and then because it's hard because with NXT at the end of the day, now they say it's a third brand, but they're still promoting guys from NXT to the quote unquote main roster. How is it a third brand if you're promoting to the main roster? It's a it's a contradiction. It really is because I'm trying to. It's it's kind of confusing too because or they're trying to say oh it's a third brand up no it's it's developmental it's no it's still developmental at the end of the day it's still they still look at it as a farm they still look at it as developmental yeah and you know they feel like oh well you're not gonna make real money until you you know are with red or blue correct you know so how however they try to position however they try to present it. It, it doesn't reflect in the long-term plans. Yeah. 
you know, and they try to bring, you know, some kind of validation to it. Like they have Finn Balor. I forgot Finn Balor was on NXT. I literally did. Cause if he's not on raw or SmackDown, I'm like, where the hell he go? Oh yeah. It's on the yellow brand, you know, and there's stuff there. I do enjoy it. I like, and I appreciate it, but you know, it's still that stigma there because remember, well, of course, you know, um, it was Florida championship wrestling for years. So yeah. in fact, even the NXT name, Triple H bought that from somebody else. Yeah, you know. So to me, it's always going to be like tribute soldiers. when they when WWE bought ECW, I always kind of felt like they should have made that to NXT. Well, they kind of did in a weird way. But first of all, it was a dumbass idea for them to make ECW like this stadium brand. It was never meant for that. Oh yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the best analogy. That would be kind of like a band like the Subhumans playing an arena tour. No. It's not gonna fucking work. No, you, you know? gotta play them in, in dingy halls like CBGB, Churchills, you know, places where you can't even touch it. Exactly. I miss CBGBs. I got to be good or twice. That I wish I was younger though. I was too young. I, I missed it. I completely missed it. I was there because of the stinko Afro punk, and that's another parallel too. Back oh, in because you heard about Afro punk, right? Oh yeah, big time. Big I'm time. one of the first members of that board. Okay. You know, I'm one of the first guys, and hell, to be told is on the show, I'm actually int- I'm interviewing a lot of old Afro punk guys because they kind of went on to do certain certain things. So, but that was the ECW version, right? The Paul Heyman Afro punk counterculture, exactly. Yeah. The one you see now, that's Vince Man's ECW. That's Vince Man's Afro punk. Mm-hmm. Totally different thing. I mean, hell, exactly. You know, and then you have place. You know, you have festivals like Ultra. Which started off as these sub, you know, subculture niche type events, and then all of a sudden you see that there are these ultra shiny, sparkly, you know, mega corporate sponsored events. Now you're like, this isn't the same. Not at all. Why does Punk have a VIP section? You know, right? Like I've for years I wanted to go to Ultra for years, and I have a friend who DJs at Ultra when they're in town. And he's like, do you want to go? I was like, I looked at the lineup and I was really excited. And I was like, you know what? Nah. Like, it's, I don't think it's going to be what I expect it to be. So I'm just going to leave it. That's one of the things I just don't do. And I'll be okay with that. Understood completely, you know. But in a crazy way, I would say the parallel between all these things, like, all right, that's the cool thing about this. Like, okay, in a weird way, Okay, like okay. For example, AEW. Like I've always loved how it really started out as a bet. Oh yeah, you know. Oh, and yeah. it's not so much like a second chance. It's basic to me. It's showing what these guys could do. Yeah, you know. This is this is they are this is them running with the ball. This is not a second chance. This is a first opportunity, and they are knocking it out of the park. All things considered. I love how you put that. It's not a second chance, it's a first opportunity. And that reminds me, because I keep on thinking about guys like, okay, all the main guys that became like, you know, the the poster boards for Attitude Era and everything, right? Except for The Rock, even though he's in USWA. I keep on thinking about Stone Cold Steve Austin, Undertaker, Cactus Jack. There's a fourth one, too. I guess you could say Brian Pillman as well. But all those guys that got fired from WCW... You know, and these are like mid card oh, yeah. dudes, and how they got read, you know, they found their shit in ECW. You know, I so thought that was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. 
um, Cactus Jack, Stone Cold, well, Stunning Steve Austin at the time, Brian Pillman, and who was the fourth? Undertaker? No. Taker uh, never went to ECW. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Taker came straight from WCW. He was oh, a part of the Twin Towers. Oh, yeah, you're oh, right. Oh, Skyscraper. Sorry, Skyscraper. You're with Dance Bivy, right? Mm-hmm. He's the original partner, and then they left. Um, God, this is going to torture me, so. All right, so, yeah, there is, we can know three for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely three. Shoot. I was, you over. know, and, Oh, you first. No, no, go ahead. I was always weird too. Like, okay, I found like the old Memphis stuff. That's another territory where it's like, you know, that's when you know you should wait to Memphis and everything, right? Like, I always mm-hmm. thought it was kind of weird how you have, you know, Soul Taker and Master of Pain, right? Right. You know, and I, I didn't, it was kind of funny to see, you know, I was like, I'm not going to use his real name because I don't know him like that, but, you know, Godfather. Well, he was rocking like a fucking mohawk and shit, right? And then I found he played drums for a lot of bands out in Vegas and like a bad brain sticker. So I always yeah. thought he knew what was up, you know? Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Master of Pain where, he, you know, Taker was still trying to learn how to talk and everything. But mm-hmm. I've always thought it was kind of funny. Mighty funny how, you know, Master of Pain goes to Dirty, well, then WDF, and becomes Undertaker, but his partner at the time was named Soul Taker. I'm like, hmm, interesting. Right. Coincidence. Yeah. But as you were saying, though. Oh, God, I forgot what I was saying, man. It's all good. <laughs> but, yeah, but, you know, even like, okay, Impact, right? When Matt Hardy went to Impact and became Broken Matt Hardy, and mm-hmm. he really reinvented himself. But I always loved that with him and, you know, Jeff became Brother Nero and stuff. And I was, like, my favorite one was the Expedition of Gold, right? Yes. And, that's one thing I really miss. All right. I've always, mm-hmm. all right. Do you think it helps or hinders the business when they're inner, when they're interpromotional feuds or anything? You think it helps or hinders? It depends on what the ultimate end goal is and who it's going to come out on top. I think the expedition of gold helped all parties involved. Oh yeah. I think so. Yeah. Cause MCW is a part of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, I feel like they could do something like that again with the proper placement. You get you, you have Ring of Honor, you have Impact, you have, like you said, MTW. Um, trying to think to notable, you have GCW. You have certain promotions that have a certain gravitas to them, to where they can be elevated by these larger companies and really shine, and then you really get to see that unseen talent and really grow the business in a positive way. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, WWE doesn't run Madison Square Garden anymore. I mean, one of the coolest things we were seeing was that Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling Super Show and everything, right? It was like, weird. Oh, yeah. and I'm like, because first of all, I'm I'm just amazed by this because even the idea of that, I couldn't fathom that even like 20 years ago because like, hey, that was their territory. Not anymore right. with the Barclays, but the fact you're Madison Square Garden. So yeah, I really feel like every wrestler wants their, actually every performer wants their Garden moment. You know. Of Everybody does. I'm like, one of the weirdest ones was, okay, outside of wrestling, well, kind of, sort of, too. Even though I wouldn't consider wrestling what they did. Um, the Misfits, right? Um, I'm still surprised they get to go to the Garden. Even I'm like, but it kind of makes sense, actually, in hindsight. But, yeah. But one other thing I noticed about you, that you get more into, you're getting more into punk rock and everything, you know? How'd that come about? Oh, through Red 
Um, you know, I was getting I kind of dabbled into rock a little bit in high school, but of course, being in the inner city, that's always frowned upon because it's quote unquote white music, which I never understood because we created rock music. But I, I digress. Yeah. Um, you know, he actually introduced me to several different genres of music: Japanese jazz with Fall and um, the gentleman. Uh, we had. Uh, New job is who did more lo-fi hip-hop. Like, a lot of the lo-fi hip-hop stuff you hear now, New job is was 15 years ahead of that. Oh, totally. Um, you know, with Samurai Champloo and stuff like that. Um, Oval is another jazz trio um, from Japan that does really amazing music. Um, he introduced me to them, and I took it in when I was driving back from Orlando after a show. I just set Spotify to Oval Radio and I fell in love because it was so soothing and it helped clear my head and it was amazing. Um, and then when it got into punk and, and more, like you said, rock-related music, I heard him humming, I think it was humming the lyrics to Reignition or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I actually was like, yo, oh no, it was on Instagram. He shared a po- I think he shared a picture with him in HR. Yes. And I was like, yo, who's that? You know, and I Google Bad Brains, and I realized, they're, oh, shit, they're a black punk band. Yeah. They're a black punk band. I didn't know they existed. Come to find out, oh, yeah. we're the fucking architects of this shit. Hell. A band called Death. <laughs> Shoot. They're from my, Bad Brains, my hometown, D.C. You See, know. there you go. No cap. Like, ABCD, you had Bad Brains, you had a lot of early bands that really helped shape this art form and then realizing that the skinhead culture came from the UK and it was black, you know, Jamaican workers working with the working class British workers and they came together and they they bonded and they were peaked and they were united against racism. Like, shit like that blows my mind. Oh, yeah. And it's like, where, where did it all go wrong? And then you realize the forces that the, the the powers that be do not want unity. Oh no, not at all. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I piece because I piece the story together, but that's like a whole other podcast and a whole other rant that I can go on. But when I was younger, it's like I was getting more into reggae and getting more to ska because I was like a dancehall fiend. I love dub reggae. Lee Scratch Perry, my fucking idol when it comes to mixing. Yes. R.I.P. Two to the house. Fuck, that one hit hard, you know. Dude, that one fucking Dude. hit. That's all. Like, we gotta preserve Lee Scratch as much as we can now. Yes. Ah. Oh my god. Ugh. Speaking of what you heard about Sim McCrary from Sim McCray from Bad Brains, right? No. All right. Here's the deal. When the band was forming, the first lead singer was a guy named Sim McCray. Um, he was he was there when the band was still called Mind Power, right? But he was the one that introduced the guys to punk rock and heavy metal. You know, okay. they called it Doomsday music. You know, it was him and Daryl Jennifer, you know, and he was they were like listen to Black Sabbath, Budgie, stuff like that. And <laughs> H was actually a, a really shy young man, um that Sid, you know, because originally Sid was the vocalist and everything, right? And right. H was playing guitar. So he said, you know what, I kind of see something this, um, you know, young Jamaican kid to do something. 
you know so have them up front and next thing you know that's when the shift changed so sid was always there you know he's always in the back at least he'd be like almost like a coach he'd be like a trainer He's kind of like um like Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson now is to Cody Rhodes. He was okay. basically that. Like he was like, all right, you gotta get. He make sure I have water and everything. All right, go get him. He was that guy. Mm-hmm. You know. And the crazy thing about it is, we literally spoke two fucking weeks ago. Oh wow. And we're talking about you know, you know, because a lot of stories I know he knows because they're publicized and. You know, it was one of those kind of things where it wasn't like you know I didn't try to keep Kay. It was, you know. It's like, you know, the mystique was there, so we knew the stories and everything. And then we, the last thing we talked about was like Nirvana and like how they were influenced by this band called Ice Earth and this other tweet, Scottish tweet pop band called The Vaselines. And I don't think it was really, it was like, I wasn't aware of that. I was like, yeah. It's like, hey, wait a minute. Let's, you know, fuck, it just hit me. Um, I don't even smoke, but I feel like I want to get a cigarette right now. I don't even smoke, dude. What the fuck? But uh, yeah, fuck. But that was the last thing we spoke about. So, you know, yeah. But anyway, but yeah. So, but that's another thing too. Because wait, it was MVP that got you into punk rock, right? All right. It's funny story. It's funny you mentioned that because I was the one that kind of helped them get into um this one band called Toei, right? And I forgot. Okay, there's. I would say they're called um. It's not post rock. It's something like that, right? And that's the cool thing about Japanese music. I really love. Like they always go the extra degree. Like even like, like they call city pop now, or they called it new music back then. It was like it sounded like eighties, like eighties R and B, eighties American R and B, right? And it sounded like some shit that like you know, you know, like um, Shaka Khan would be doing the eighties, and then you have these Japanese vocal on, like what the fuck? And it's dope though. You know, and it just blew me away. So, and it's like, so I've always admired in a, his ear, you know, because I never would expect that, you know. And half the time we're just shooting the shit about music, send a goofy ass meme and everything in the DMs, you know. He's a cool ass dude, you know. You know, so, all right. So, what would you say you learned from the OGs? Like, who would you say you learned the most from, you know, coming up? Oh, man. Um, the most as far as music or wrestling? Honestly, both. You know, I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, I really dig talking to you and also, also I'm trying to pull an hour out too. But also, we're like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know shit. Alright. Um, shit, bro. Like, Go for it. Go it. off, you know. Pretend this is like, pretend you're Cactus Jack and this is ECW and you're talking about Uncle Willie. Go for it. Alright, so person that got me into wrestling was my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Like, no bullshit. All right. um, he was a lifelong fan. He grew up in New York. Well, he didn't grow up in New York, but he migrated to New York from Jamaica. All right. um, and he introduced me to wrestling. We, when I stayed with him during the summers, um, there was a little Jamaican restaurant across the street from the spot. And we would go there and every Monday without fail go get beef patties, get sodas, and sit down and watch wrestling. Like clockwork. If he couldn't go there, he would go and get the stuff and we'd watch it at the spot. Um, and then when he got older, he moved down here. Um, and we still watched it religiously, even even after the fact, when I was well in my 20s. Huh? And when his health started to decline, fucking, he uh, pulled me aside and we talked. 
he, he gave me the talk. Like, he, he knew. He knew. And, um, he basically told me, um, I love you, of course. And live your life with no regrets. It's like, whatever you want to do in life. It's like you have a passion. I see it. We talk about it all the time. Go after me. It's like, I may not be here to see it, but I need you to get it through. I need you to get it done. I promise you. So I, I had to promise my old man. It's like, yeah, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> and less than a week later, he, he was gone. Um, so push on the show. Uh, a few months later, I ended up finding a school. Uh, a loved one helped me find a school um, to start training at. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I met Rusty Brooks. Um, he was very upfront with me. He's like, look, you got to put in the work, but if you want it, you can make a career out. You know, you can do something and really make a name for yourself. Like, if you really push, you can really make some money. He's like, I can't guarantee you'll make money, but you can definitely do something if you want. Like, cool. So he started training me there. He started training me at his home in with the regular backyard. Uh-huh. And with a bunch of us, it was like seven or eight of us that day, and we worked out in the blazing hot December sun in Florida on a Sunday. So <laughs> that was the start of my journey. And then early on, um, you know, Joel Gertner, after I went to the initial um, seminar, which was well worth the money I paid at the time, in a way, he returned to like 20, 25 bucks, something like that, was expensive. And the uh, whole. You know, just learning character development stuff from him and just picking up stuff from guys like Bobby Sanford, um, who was a South Florida veteran at the time. And, and, and there were in some instances where I thought he was kind of a jerk, but I, it turns out that was his personality. Mm-hmm. And now that I've been around longer, he was kind of like feeling me out to see if I would be around or if I was just going to be, you know, kind of a fly-by-night type of dude. And me and him... As time has progressed, our relationship has grown exponentially. He's really uh, a good dude and, and really works hard to help young talent. Okay. Um, you know, um, God, my partner, my tag team partner, mostly Kamal, he's been around for fucking ever. And he's somebody, like, if you ever get a chance to talk to him, you want to talk about music, um, he, what, what was the name of the venue? He used to do security. At, uh, it was a venue in Detroit, a well-known uh, venue. Saint, Saint something. Saint like, Andrew's Saint, Hall? Yes. Oh, yeah. Saint Andrew's Hall. There we go. Couldn't remember. I was, for some reason, I think it's St. Charles, but no. Yeah, Saint Andrew's Hall. And he has stories of, of the musicians and the events and just things going on at that time. Uh, when we had a chance to go back to Detroit, um, we had a show in it was Toledo, which was like two hours south. And we flew in Detroit and we just drove around. He was telling me stories and stories and stories. Like, he's about 10 years older than me, but you wouldn't be able to tell it. Fucking oh, yeah. amazing wrestler, amazing, highly intelligent human being. And I know he tried to kick my ass for me talking so nicely about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's honestly one of the most. God, and I said, I've said this a lot during the show, but he 100% is a friend and brother, like, to the end, for better or for worse, because everything he's done has been to help me and help himself, and just 
strengthen our bond and, and be better people. Because he's taught me life lessons and shit that I need to learn because I was the product of a single parent household. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but just, you know, when I got sick, he was, what my family was telling he was there damn near every day. Just, you know, making sure that I didn't go anywhere. Um, as far as passive slipping. And, you know, even now, like, he'll hit me up every once in a while, hey, you work out sick, and this, that. And we're working on some other, some other projects together to, to really help, um, help people down here in South Florida. Once we, you know, once, this whole, hopefully once this pandemic is subsided and society gets back to some sense of normalcy, we can proceed with it. But yeah, those are some of the people that have really helped me a lot in wrestling. Um, of course, MVP, Loki, I've already mentioned. Nice. Um, God, just so many. Uh, Puerto Rican Hound Dog, he's a veteran in the Florida scene. Um, Vertigo, John John Bullard, who runs Chicago Chicago Land Championship Wrestling, um, in the Indiana Chicago area, I've known him since he was a worker before he he finally just kind of hung it up. Um, I've known him for ten years easy, um, and he's always been a big brother to me in the business, in and out of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, God fuck, who else? Now you got me going. <laughs> Um, That's cool, man. You know, shit. Fucking my big brother, who I, my one of my closest friends. I call him my big brother, but we've been friends since we were like eleven. Uh, Dre, who's now a chef, he actually wanted to get into wrestling with me, and started training, but unfortunately his health took a downturn. He ended up having to get a pacemaker at like twenty six. Wow. Yeah. But the great thing is, is that we kind of knew this was it was coming, because his dad died when we were thirteen. Shit. Yeah, from heart condition. So it's hereditary. Yeah. So Fuck. thankfully, um, he caught it. You know, we 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 kind of played it safe. We caught it early enough, and you know, I was heartbroken when I found out he couldn't you know engage, but he found his passion in culinary arts. There you go. And he is an amazing, amazing fucking cook. Like he can, he can whip it up like nobody fucking else, man. Chef, excuse me, not cook. Chef. Yeah. Uh, he kicked my ass. I said that. At least you got the C part right. Oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, he's a, he's amazing in the kitchen. Oh um, yeah. Behind the grill, wherever. So yeah, that's just a few people that have helped influence me, and and music wise. Huge shout to MVP. Huge shout to uh, Mosey, who opened me up to Roy Ayers and Hula um, Rock and a, a lot of stuff that I MF Doom really who had a chance to grow on as far as what he did and what he contributed to music. Oh yeah, um, different bands, just different genres of music. Glenn Green. In, oh God, I can go on and on. Man. I can go on and on. This, music, this this show literally is basically about the cross section between all these worlds, between like the cross section of like how wrestlers get into music, how a lot of musicians get into wrestling, you know. Shoot, I've always thought there was kind of a connection between like punk rock and the DIY ethic of independent wrestling, you know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we, you know, you get there, you get to the venue, you set your shit up, and 
you know, you hope you hope shit goes well, man. You hope shit goes well. You 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 have your merch. You have and, and to be honest, a lot of merch ideas that I've had in the past couple of years have come from the music stream, from punk rock. Like, yeah. you know, your buttons, your patches. You know, outside of just t-shirts. Yeah. Um, I've done guitar picks. I don't even play guitar, but I've done guitar pick. I've done little collectibles that people don't do. And then trading cards, all kinds of shit. Oh, yeah. Story help. Mm-hmm. It helps a lot. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, hell, the way a lot of, a lot of certain indie shows say, you know, if you're a Russell, it's like I literally kind of adapted, you know. I've, I've appreciated the the lingo, so to speak. So might so another guy might be a wrestling might be a wrestling fan and say, Well I guess we're working another mud show, huh? And they laugh about it, say, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So it's like it's very similar, except the difference is jumping to a table is optional with what I do. <laughs> you know Oh, it is for us too. You can always like not to do it. I mean it's always fun to go through a table. So. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, all right, you know one of the biggest things that killed the business? You know, but that wasn't Kenny Omega. You know what really killed the business? Mm. That stupid ass special on NBC. Oh yeah. It really it gave so much misinformation, like, okay. Oh god, it's it's so bad. You know it's, so bad. it's kind of ironic actually, because the whole idea was like we have to have stuff that doesn't break K right? It did it worse. It gave up misinformation. So alright, okay, so yeah. for the table spot, right? So you guys are really through a table. It's not sawed. It's not particle board. That's a real whole ass table. That's a whole ass table, bro. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Put this out okay. there. So people that think those tables are fake, there was a show I worked in Central Florida around 2014, um, and we were, I was in a triple. Let me explain. A triple threat tag team ladder match. Okay. And basically, what that means. Three tag teams, two men apiece, um, are all competing at the same time. And they, to win this match, you have to climb the ladder and grab the belt. Mm-hmm. So there was a point in the match where I had to go through a table. And the table was super thick. Like, it was one of those, like, church picnic tables. Oh, shit. Like, it, was, it was, you know how you have most of most tables that are their normal... You know, with the little metal ring underneath. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, this had it on the table itself. Oh, and then sure. had, like, two-by-fours underneath it to reinforce it. So we had to unscrew those. Table was still there. So the whole thing is I get up on the apron. Guy come, comes from under me and powerbombs me through. Easy. So the guy that did it, I, I love him. That's Perot. He super awesome dude. Just got married. Grabs him and Morgan. Love is love. Um, so he, he has it, and what was supposed to happen was I was supposed to get a spear by another guy and use that momentum to carry me through the table. Bob's your uncle. Boom. So, during the match, apparently one of the ladders that was involved breaks. Oh, so we're going to set up for the spot, and this broken ladder is right in front of where uh, the gentleman's supposed to do the spear. So, mind you, we're all over 300 pounds. Perot is over 300, I'm well over 300, and the gentleman is over 330. So it's time to do it. And I'm set up, I'm set up, I'm almost ready to go. 
and instead of me getting hit with a spear, he jumps over the ladder, and I have to catch him. Oh, shit. So I catch him. Boom. Draw him into me so that I can protect him. And it's so much weight for for Perot, he can only get me so far. My upper back hits the table. The table does not doesn't really break like it breaks a little bit, but my my lower back and my tailbone smash to the concrete. Oh shit! I just went cross my back. Yeah, my back has never been the same. Ever. Like if anybody could say what 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 was a turning point in your career, that was it. Fuck. Like even to this day, I still get up and I still have pain. Shit. Did you have to change your style after that? Um, not so much because I was already working a big man style. Um, I just had to learn to adjust, you know, like, especially with everything that happened with me at the beginning of the year. Um, now that I'm taking better care of myself, it hurts significantly less. But if I lay in a position for too long or, or if I, you know, fall asleep in a weird way, then it bothers me. But it, the pain used to be excruciating to where I couldn't move. Um, a couple of days after that match, like I, I went to use the restroom and I slid off of the toilet and I couldn't get up. Like I could not get up. It was that bad. Oh, shit. But uh, having to go to the hospital, they had to give me a cortisone shot. And, um, yeah. It's, I mean, of course, now we know the cortisone's worn off, but it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be. Started doing a little bit of yoga, started doing other things like that to help, and it's improved significantly, especially with the weight loss. Yeah. That's another reason why, too, I'm doing the getting more serious weight loss, because here's the deal. Spinal stenosis runs in my family, right? That's the thing that mm-hmm. had edge, you know, on the, you know, based on the sidelines for years, right? Mm-hmm. And also, similar issue, like, all right, I really was looking into going to wrestling school, like going to Bone Breakers of Maryland, right? You know, mm-hmm. even save a little money to it. And here's what changed my fucking mind on it. Mm. I literally sat down wrong in a chair. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, it was like the worst back pain ever, right? And I'm mm-hmm. like, and the thing about it is I still had to, because I was doing this contracting gig, right? And, you know, basically what it was for a minute, I was like working on like, you know, my mom, sister, and I, we go set up these, these, um, like, um, this one department in Lowe's, right? And I was all sitting up. I never told him I don't throw my back out. You know, I took even three Advil and he do shit. So Ooh. my first thought was, okay, John, now imagine this. Now on the hypothetical, if you had a, if you had to be, if you were part of WWE, and I wishful thinking, um, even at this point, actually, right now, imagine you basically do a loop, like a East Coast, West Coast loop, or whatever, right? And you're based, and you could barely walk right now with your back blown the fuck out. So I said, right. you know what? Uh, I'm better writing anyway. Exactly. <laughs> Literally. They're working out for you. Shit, you know. You know, let me just sit my ass here, enjoy the show. You know, maybe send off an angry tweet, basically. You know, right. within reason. You know, because that's what I used to do. With my buddy Daryl. It's like, um, I actually got blocked by our truth. You know, hey, in fairness, it was during this heel run because they don't like them when you're smart and shit. So I went along with it. I can't remember what it was that I said to get blocked by him, but it, it was pretty funny. That's all I remember. Okay. You know, it happens for a reason, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Damn shame because I've been a fan of him since he was K Quick. Oh, that girl, that's the right. 
Exactly. Like I said, don't forget, I'm the same guy, actually, who's Dad Cockblock Virgil. Yes. Yes, yes, you are. I'm the same dude. <laughs> also, um, I also made Jim Cornette blush, actually. And the funny thing about it, it was all a bet. Damn. That was my dad. There was an incident, if you feel comfortable talking about that, there was like an incident in MLW, right? So that's not really a gimmick. He's kind of a dick like that, right? Oh, man, listen. Um, yeah, I have my reservations about Mr. Cornette. Um, I just felt like he didn't care. Like, well, when it came to me, he felt like he didn't see much of me. And um, when I first, you know, not when I first got there, but when he first got there, um... You know, I was supposed to be doing, I was supposed to have a segment with Contra Unit, which is Jacob Fatu, Simon Grimm, and um, Simon Gachi, excuse me, yeah. and, jo- and Joseph Samail. Yeah. So I get there, you know, I know, I know, I've known Gotch for a while, it's a buddy of mine. Yeah. So he's cool. Um, Jacob is super, super, super down to earth. Oh, yeah. You know, once he's good with you, he's good with me, unless you give, you give him a reason to get pissed off. Um, and somebody who looks somebody old, he is who he is. There you go. Um, Kelly Samarjo. Pretty much. He's, he's very cut and, cut and dry with what he does. Yeah. Um, and then as far as that goes, so I introduced myself to, um, to Mr. Cornette, and he just basically kind of like looks me over and I says, all right, and fuck you. Damn. Like, All right. Well, fuck you. And just from there, I'm just never, you know, I've never, yeah, accepted him from there. Mm-hmm. You know, so everything that happened to him was well deserved in my eyes. Yeah. Okay. To be honest, there was nothing surprising about the scandal about earlier this year. There was nothing oh, surprising not, about that. Not at all. But not at all. He looks like he likes to watch people get off. So. Right? But in a crazy-ass way, he kind of killed an argument. Him and Xavier was kind of killed an argument, though. Why is that? The reason why is this. How many times have I heard, like, oh, girls don't like me because I like video games. Girls don't like me because of so-and-so, because I like anime, because of so-and-so. Listen, if Jim Cornette could be in some wild shit like that, and Xavier Woods could be out there with Paige, with, um, I forgot the other guy's name, filming the damn thing, there is no way people have an argument, that excuse anymore. They can't. Listen, people. I, I've been I've been getting some since I was fifteen. Yeah, and I, you know, I've loved wrestling. I've loved all my weird shit, anime, all that. If a girl's gonna vibe with you, she's gonna vibe with you. Oh yeah. It's not what you like or your interest. It's who you are as a person. Exactly. You know how to approach people and be a personable human being and not be a sack of garbage. You'll get some play. You will get some play. You'll get some love. But a lot of you guys are like, oh, I can't get a girl. That's not that you can't get a girl. You just either have these, these unreasonable requirements for a girl, or you're just a fucking creepazoid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true, you know? Because I remember there was a photo of... I found these screenshots, right? Of a, Actually, I made these screenshots. It, it, it sounds... Okay, I know how bad that sounds, but hear me out. All right, it was when Stephen McMahon was on Up, Up, Down, Down. This is sounding worse the more I say it. But the thing about it is it looked kind of weird. Like Steph, It looked like Steph was giving Xavier was the eye, right? And I was trying to figure out, is there something I don't know going on here? 
and I literally sent it to every to certain certain people, right? Saying like, "Yo, did you just reading out body language? You think something's going on here?" And literally to different sources, both fan and non-fan, right? Apparently, Steph's just really friendly. I didn't know that. I can see that. Oh yeah, because I was like, I wonder if you know. And the funniest part about it was is when the scandal popped out the next day. I'm like, holy shit! Yeah. But I love how they played it off, though. Like, my favorite segment in the New Day was when you had all three of you guys in the New Day, and they just kind of looked at them knowingly, like, so, is there anything you want to tell us about? And X is all like, yes, WrestleMania's coming up in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yep. Because you gotta own it, though. It's like, yeah, okay. that's the thing. It, it wasn't anything that anyone put out willingly. It wasn't you know, revenge prawn or anything like that. You know, it, it just it just so happened to still exist. Exactly. You know, you know they rolled with the punches. It wasn't anything damning or anything illegal. They were adult consenting adults doing consenting adult things. And when you're stuck and all you have is wrestling, sometimes you gotta get a release. So I can't even, you know, be mad at them. Me neither. So, you know, it makes sense actually because all right, one thing I noticed about you know it's. Okay, I know how bad it's going to sound. It is a, okay, I'll just say it this way. It is a large community. I was going to say it's like a big-ass family, but I never thought how bad that sounded. It is a large community, I noticed. And hell, it's like, you know, shit, it's only, it seems like they all date each other, interdate with each other, you know. It's not a surprise in none of that at all, you know. You know, the funniest one, actually, was the way, because that's when, that's when you know when New Day was over, when they start, people start chanting, New Day fucks. I was like, oh my god. Oh, yeah. That was but, hilarious. Once you own stuff like that, dude, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Exactly. Because people realize they can't get your goat with it. Once you own anything and people realize they can't bother you about it, oh, yeah, that's a wrap. Exactly. Shit, Shockmaster, right? Uh, you know, it, it kind of killed it, but then, okay, let's make it this goofier guy. There you go. And uh-huh. that's how low-key, or it's kind of funny, my buddy Daryl, right? Um, damn, y'all really hit it off, I'm telling you, you know, I'm telling you two would hit it off, you know, so what happened was, is like, Daryl, he kind of made a good point about this, he said, like, you know what, if they kind of just own and everything, I can see him being like a black version of Fabulous Freebirds, and no more than a few weeks later, people start making that same damn comparison, in fact, they're still even rocking blue and shit, I'm like, oh, fuck, you're right, and, you know, shit, alright, so, what do you think the future of the business is? Um, I think it's going to be really bright. I really, really do. Um, as long as the independent scene is thriving and, and doing well, I don't see that wrestling's going anywhere. And that's the thing. We have to keep the future. We always have to look ahead and, and build the future up. Hmm. have to elevate them to do better than we did. If we don't, we are doing ourselves a disservice. Oh, yeah. I'm with you on that. Cause, all right, what do you think of the cinematic matches? I like them. I like them. They have their place anywhere. I like cinematic style programs. I like cinematic style matches. It helps. It helps to me. I think it helps immerse the viewer into the world of that particular character or story, and it helps them get across. Yeah, like for some okay, for some gimmicks, some personas, some characters. I hate to say the word character. Some gimmicks, some personas. I really feel no, like. What's that? What? I said character is fine. All right. Cool. All right, here's a great example. For the for whatever was projected on Sting and Undertaker, right? It would have to be a cinematic match. 
<laughs> for the, all the grandeur he put on there, it had to be that, you know, because you couldn't have a regular wrestling match, even though they technically did have one in WCW. Eh, it was one of those kind of things. Because technically, well, Monster Randy Savage and Steve Austin had a match too, but not in the way people expect. Not No, right? Not at all. They were in two different positions at the time. So exactly. So it's like it's kind of like the monkey's paw thing. It's almost like it's not the wish I had in mind. You know, but okay. it's okay. But that's another thing too, because I I know you under a few names. Like my buddy Kelsey called you Husey Poo for a second. I was like, that's how I get to know you, because my buddy Kelsey. Right. You know. <laughs> And I know her callback from the old Afropunk board. <laughs> gotcha. So, you know, so it's like, okay, so was like Barrington Hughes like your first persona or was it, did you try other things as well? Um, I had one other persona I tried. I've tried two other personas in my entire career. Both were one-offs. Um, well, not necessarily one-off. One was not a one-off. When I started off, when I first broke in, I was a manager. Um, I went under the name Big Stacks. This was not my idea. This was not my gimmick, and I hated it. <laughs> hmm. So when I when I had the opportunity to do my own thing, I came up with the name Barrington Hughes because Barrington Levy was my grandfather's uh, favorite reggae singer, and Hughes because it was already a known name. So okay, oh that's okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So and everybody asks me when they hear the name, oh, you know, Mr. Hughes. I don't know. I know of him, and I respect him. I, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him. <laughs> oh shit! So, I thought I forgot about like, Curtis Hughes. I forgot all about that. Mm-hmm. It makes sense right now because I was like, "Oh shit!" Okay, <laughs> kind of exactly. like um, kind of like the rumor, like how people thought Corey Glover was Danny Glover's son, huh? Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and then I did one other one where it was kind of a. Uh, I gotta explain it. I do a little butcher style gimmick, but it was under a mask. And it's like, mm, no, I'm good. So, anything else you want to say? Um, like, where can I get your social media? And everything? Uh, yeah, everything right now is under Black Thanos. B H B L A Q U E T H A N O S B H. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, everything. Um, Facebook. Cool. And um yeah, just support independent wrestling, support independent music, uh Black Lives Matter, All Cops Are Bad, and uh fuck the establishment. Damn straight. Peace. Alright, peace, brother. All Thank right. you. No problem. Thank you. That was Barrington Hughes. Check him out on Instagram and Twitter under Black Thanos B H. That is spelled B L A Q U E T H A N O S B H. That is, again, B-L-A-Q-U-E-T-H-A-N-O-S-B-H. The B and the H are capitalized, by the way. Also, check out his matches on YouTube. Great guy. Look forward to talking to him in the future.